This is Talking with Green Teachers, a show where environmental educators discuss recent developments, big ideas, and creative approaches to teaching green. In this episode... Things are going to be different, and how do we make this work? And um, if, and I think the simplest phrase that I think we said, Trevor, is they, if they can't come to us, we'll come to them. And if we, you know, once we said that, that completely framed up everything that we're doing. And then all of a sudden it became almost silly. Like, well, yeah, why wouldn't we do this? If they can't come to us, we'll go to them. Uh, and that was it. It's spring in Ashland County, Ohio. Well, still technically winter here in the second week of March 2020. But functionally, the season of renewal is upon us. The ice breaks up on Pleasant Hill Lake, feeding the swelling of streams and rivers. Nearby, the Nahab Center for Experiential Learning has just launched its in-person outdoor programming for the year. Executive Director Trevor Dunlap has big plans for the coming season, having brought in Associate Professor of Education Matthew Broda from the College of Worcester to help NAHAP's instructors build an evaluative framework for their teaching. It's a time of hope, even as the storm clouds of a global pandemic inch even closer. As we are all too aware, when the storm hit, it hit hard, causing a major disruption to institutions everywhere. In a matter of hours, experiential outdoor learning faced the seemingly insurmountable barrier of cancelled in-person events. But hope was not lost at Nahab. Ian met virtually with Trevor and Matthew to get an inside look at how the organization navigated the turbulent waters of uncertainty. So I obviously, like so many people in environmental education, you have made the big pivot or probably many big pivots, and we'll get into that. But let's wind the clock back. Say it's the middle of January, and you're just thinking ahead to what Camp Nahop will look like for the, the 2020 season, the warm season. Uh, you could say business as usual, although that's, that's a phrase that's, I think, right out the window this year. But uh, just kind of walk us through what had you envisioned as just the typical Camp Nohop experience in the warm season? So, you know, I think uh, for us, it, it's been amazing that we've had this, this uh, perpetual growth in outdoor education, environmental education happening at Nahop. And uh, 2020 was going to be the year of uh, the most service that we could do in that realm of being able to uh, uh, get those kids outdoors and, and have the the type of experiences that we want to facilitate in, in natural world, in the natural world. And uh, so we were revved up and ready to go and, and uh, you know, staffing uh, in, in place, getting ready for the, the, the season that would start in February as you, you know, onboard your staff for a 10 day in service. And um, we were like, watch out world 2020 as they were talking about 2020 vision. So our vision was uh, 
that we were going to do some uh, absolutely amazing work by getting those kids in, in the natural environment and uh, be able to serve the most kids we, we ever uh, were going to serve in a, in a year after 46 years of being a, an organization that, um, you know, that was, was founded in 74. So it, uh, the, we're ready, primed and ready. It was game on. And even from the standpoint, so the, the bulk of my the sabbatical work that I was doing with Nahop was developing an, uh, like a, a teaching evaluation structure so that it was, you know, we were even really digging in deep into the, the pedagogy of environmental education and building these evaluative frameworks so that um, Trevor's staff, we could give them really robust feedback and training his, uh, his mainline staff to be good observers and provide really good feedback and coaching and mentoring out in the field. And so it was, uh, yeah, I'm with Trevor. It was, we felt like this was, this was going to be it. We were cutting edge. We were developing all these amazing tools to make sure that our instruction was dialed in. And uh, yeah, we were, we were poised and ready. So uh, piggybacking on that real quick, Ian. So, you know, how often do you have the opportunity to have a, a, professor of education on your team in a, in a camp setting. And so when, when Matthew's talking about that, the, the, the baseline of, of how to teach and not only how to teach, but also with Matthew's background and, and, and his, you know, his dissertation and all that type of work that he did for his PhD to have that all in play. And then here we were. And so in lives the story of 2020. As the ice on Pleasant Hill Lake continues to thaw, water molecules are released from their icy dormancy, making their way into the Clear Fork Mohican River and eventually the Mississippi. It's a remarkable journey full of twists, turns and pivots. Back at Nahab, Trevor, Matt and the center's team are facing the need for an unprecedented pivot. The, the conversation we had with them was actually minutes after they put the very first group that had come to camp for the, the spring season on the buses to go home because their school had been shut down because of all of this. So there was this kind of immediate grieving process on Trevor's staff that they just had a phenomenal week doing what they loved doing for the very first time that season. And for us, it was, we love doing that. So let's keep doing it. Let's find a way to continue doing that kind of work. And so there was kind of a built in motivation that, that happened because we were able to, to talk in the moment when all of that was happening say, let's go. Um, and that's, I think was very helpful too. They had just experienced something they loved. And so we said, let's keep it going. Let's not stop now. I think part of that, uh, is the, the tenets of, organizational leadership. So when you think about uh, how to motivate people is, is hitting them where they have passion. And so when, when Matthew came up with this concept of, of how to do this and we, we chatted back and forth on, on, is it, is it doable? Of course it was doable because what Matthew was just saying right here is, is if you can tie passion to a project, the outcome is going to be terrific. And so that was easy because we had both of those things in play. When I look at this story, the two things that really stand out so much are one, the timeline, like the quick turnaround, and two, just how confident everyone in your team was in your vision and, and who you are and who you want to be, and how even if 
the way to do it. So for example, having a whole bunch of students sitting two to a seat on a bus, I think those are types of things we take for granted. It's like, well, that's just what you do. That's how you transport people to have an experience outside. But it's, it's not the only way, as evidenced by what you've been able to accomplish. Just uh, take us into the nitty gritty of the timeline, because I just find this so fascinating in, in how quickly things turned around. Yeah, the, <laughs> we are too. Uh, <laughs> to pinch yourself is, did that happen is that real <laughs> yeah it, it and and that was uh, i think again and the the reason why it worked was you were you were hitting people who were kind of at the peak of being passionate about an idea and a project uh and we were able to to kind of drop a plan quickly um so for us it really uh it had to go from surreal to reality quickly because i i just remember the feeling all of us in the office as all of these things were happening we were all you could hear everyone's computers live streaming the governor talking about all of these things just the weird it it yeah and we all kind of talked about this is this has that same kind of weird suspenseful feeling that 911 has where you just yeah. thought to yourself things are going to be very different from here on out like we're in the middle of something that there's a there's something happening that we don't know what tomorrow really will look like. And that was the big thing too, that um, I think it was, it was nice for us to be able to take and isolate the team while Trevor was focusing more on how that day to day reality was evolving. Right. So we could shift his staff into this productive world where they didn't have to get sucked into all of the, how all of these things were kind of cascading on top of themselves with, you know, how this was starting to change and look and, kind of thinking like, what does this look like six months from now? And, you know, we were able to take them and say, let's focus on the immediate and make this, this kind of thing happen. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was a quick transition that, that happened from, uh, for us, uh, in the span of a car ride, uh, we're, we're, you know, coming back the next day, the Friday saying, oh my gosh, things are going to be different. And how do we make this work? And, um, if, and I think the simplest phrase that I think we said, Trevor, is they, if they can't come to us, we'll come to them. Right. And if we, you know, once we said that, that completely framed up everything that we're doing. And then all of a sudden it became almost silly. Like, well, yeah, why wouldn't we do this? If they can't come to us, we'll go to them. Uh, and that was it. And that was one of the things that for me, my job is teaching young people how to be teachers. And so the, the, actual process for me was not any different than what I get to normally do uh, at the College of Worcester. And it's, it's my passion is helping young people to, to excite others about a content and to make that content come to life and all those kinds of things. So um, it was great because it was something that we had a lot of tools already in a well-stocked toolbox that we could just start applying them as we needed. Um, and then tying in with, you know, Trevor, his foresight to hire, someone who had, you know, video production and marketing um, abilities within his staff that, you know, this just immediately excited him um, that he could actually, you know, jump in on something that was not just marketing based, but, you know, really, again, looking at the teaching and learning side of it, um, which I think that's what, that's what greased the skids to make all of this, the, the timeline move as quickly as it did. A couple other things I think I could add to that is when, uh, for those folks that are actually in a camp or an environmental, environmental education environment, the people that work there work there because they want to solve the problems of the world. 
They are young as well, just fresh out of college or just early in their careers. I call them my, my global, global vagabonds. You know, they're coming from my institution and moving to another, then moving to another. You know, I've had people move all over the globe after they're done with us. And then they come back and they, they, they build uh, on the skills that we have and it just keeps on piling on top of each other. So collectively, we all get better. But those folks are also, because they're so passionate and ready to, to, to help the world, they know how to work and they know how to be gritty. They're ready to get after it. And so when you put something in front of them, they're like, yes, game on, let's get after that. Let's, let's figure it out. And on top of that, I think one of the things that this project allowed for, because it was so like, holy cow, what is happening? We don't, we don't know what's gonna happen in the globe. It came from a place of hope. So when you think about this, well, there's hope that we can still be able to serve. It may be different. But I think when we come back and look at it backwards, isn't that what it's all about? Because we've heard from a lot of people now from across the globe asking us how this happened, what are the best practices, so on and so forth. Because it came from a place of hope, there was a solution. And gosh, yes, there is a way or methodology. It may not be perfect for every uh, circumstance or every institution, but it's, it's something that you can build off of. And um, we were lucky to be involved in it. I think it's so fitting that you chose the title for the article that, that you wrote in our summary issue of Green Teacher, Staying the Same Yet Totally Different. And that really encapsulates the entirety of this project is that you stuck to your vision and you did do what you do, how you did it. Well, there were some things that we had to change and we, we've lived in this sea of hearing all about what we can't do and out of necessity. I mean, that that's the role of, uh, you know, of our governments, but amid that sea of you can't, you were able to say we can't. It's time for a short break. We'll be right back. The Clear Fork Mohican River swells with snowmelt, slowly but surely, even as human systems all around it are thrown into sudden chaos. With a plan in place to meet the present challenges head-on, the Nahab team is fully engaged in a sprint. And uh, we'll come, come back to the timeline then. So I, I, and I also love the fact that this car ride was so, what if we still do outdoor education, even though they say we can't? And you just said, well, we just do. And I know I'm paraphrasing, but I, I just love that anecdote of, of this car ride. And I would have loved to be a, a fly or a bee on the wall or some, some sort of insect life on the wall in that car ride. Uh, so you had that conversation. Car <laughs> yeah, imagine carpooling. <laughs> Save the planet, do great ideas. Yeah. Yeah. So you had that car ride and then it was rapid fire from there. So, so walk yeah. us through that. So from the governor's announcement the day before to when we released 14, the original 14 lessons was eight days um, from having nothing. And that, that was the one thing that existed for us was an existing outdoor education curriculum that was delivered in person out in the woods. Uh, and so we had a really nice curricular structure that we could lean on. But in terms of kind of a framework for a, what this could look like as a, a model for learning and how people would access the content, none of that stuff existed for us. And so it was a great kind of testament to this idea of a, like project management and how you kind of compartmentalize the pieces so that you can bring the whole thing together in the end. Uh, and so we needed to start with the, the, the teaching and the thinking and the, or thinking around the learning piece first. And so that's 
we immediately jumped in on um, bringing a, a, a very simplified lesson structure uh, to the, the people who are already teaching the content and say, okay, so let's get back to thinking about how we look, we're looking at this year teaching and learning, uh, which was an awesome tie-in for the evaluation pieces that we had been doing previously. We could say, all right, these were the things that we were looking for in your lessons in person. It's no different now. We still want to see this same kind right. of flow of thinking and scaffolding and all that great stuff. So they, they, this was not a new concept to them in terms of how to structure a learning experience. Um, we just wanted to lay it out in very precise chunks because we also wanted to see some consistency between when people went to various lessons that it still felt like the same uh, place. We wanted them to feel to have a hop feel each time they went to a new lesson. And so we thought consistency in how that structure looked would, would help. So that was our first cut. We wanted to get them the structure, review quick lesson um, formatting and, and thinking about how you structure a learning experience. Uh, and then we clustered them into groups uh, and cut them loose. Uh, and we asked them over the weekend to frame out uh, these experiences, start filling in all of the gaps for the stuff, uh, which then we started to lean heavily on uh, Josh, who did our video production, because we, I had never done anything that needed to kind of build upon this many, I mean, hundreds of videos is what he was uh, producing to do all of this. And so um, we leaned on him to say, what does a production schedule look like? And so he then built that out so that as soon as uh, we had, uh, Trevor's staff back on Monday. We, we left them alone. We wanted them to just have some time to think and plan and be creative. Uh, and then when uh, we had them back on Monday, Josh was able to start setting up um, that, that schedule for in terms of, all right, so this is how we're going to stage shoots. These are going to be our in, indoor shoots, outdoor shoots. These are the days we're going to do everything. Um, and he just collected raw footage as he was going. He just collected, collected, collected. Um, and so we were able to to have all of the shoots for those first 14 videos done by that midweek, which then dropped a lot on his lap in terms of how do you start um, editing and, and kind of putting the, the editing algorithm together so that everything looks similar. Um, while he was doing that, we then repurposed the Nahaf staff from just their, from the lesson planning phase to now they were having to be web design people. So we uh, dropped them into Google sites uh, and they were starting to put all of the content together uh, during that time when Josh was doing the editing. They were helping to build out their own specific pages. Uh, and finally, then by that Friday afternoon, Josh was dropping uh, for us all of the finished versions of the videos that we were then embedding into the placeholders that uh, the seasonal staff had left in each of their uh, locations on the web pages. And um, by 4.30 that afternoon, the last one was dropped and we hit publish and sent it out. And that was, that was it. It was, it was a whirlwind that none of us knew if anyone would even click on it. So a couple other interesting things about that. So when we sent that out, uh, originally we sent it out to our existing client base, but then we, we had uh, kind of an internal conversation when, in, the, in the director and management level team saying, okay, so this is something that now that we see it has value and the world, I would say <clears throat> it was at the beginning stages of, of needing something that was, once again, I'm going back to solution orient, orient, uh, oriented. And 
So we elected to, to download uh, another list. We downloaded uh, the whole Ohio Department of Education uh, list from the state website. And we just sent it out to everybody we didn't know. And so that way they had a resource that, that was just created that maybe would help in this time of the beginning of emergency teaching. And so that's kind of how it started to organically grow because we, we made that concerted choice to, to, to give it away. But going backwards a little bit more about what Matthew was talking about structure, I think it was fitting the, the whole winter time, my, my, my team actually spent focused time and energy on taking all of our lessons and actually putting them into the same format from a traditional lesson plan. So that consistency thing was very important, particularly as we were scaffolding some of these, these lessons across grade levels. And so those, once again, those things were in play that helped lead to this when, when Matthew came up with his, his structure for, for our, I call them our kids, our, our field instructors, the ones that are out doing the, the real work uh, in the woods, that they had that baseline and they were able to, to, to adapt and onboard to that, that structure really fast. Yeah, I mean, it's just so instructive, I think, for any organization. It doesn't have to even be education, but when facing an unexpected crisis, if you know who you are and everybody knows their place, it is just so, so much easier to achieve what you need to achieve. If, if everybody's living on a different island, I mean, I, I just can't imagine that you would have been able to achieve this at all, let, let alone in this incredible turnaround time that you were able to achieve it in. And I, I just like at 4.30, when, when you hit publish, what was, what was the energy in the room like? Uh, so that's the weird part because we had to shift very quickly to no one being around each other. Yeah. So this became, when we started to do this, we were all in the same room. And as that week went on, and this is where we were talking about how Trevor had to, Trevor had to focus on the ever evolving landscape of the pandemic. And I was able to try and isolate these staff members around this, this idea, but very quickly became apparent where Trevor was saying, I, we need to start we need to start moving them to a distance environment too. Like this is something that we can't, we have to, when you're looking at how all of this is evolving and what they're asking people to do. So it was very strange. I pressed publish because my, my wife and I, we, we didn't have anywhere else to go either because she's a, a public school teacher. She teaches theater. And so we were actually holed up. Probably we weren't supposed to be at the college uh, using their Wi-Fi because it was much faster. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it was just uh, my wife and myself. And that was it. We just hit publish. And it was just sending texts back and forth to all the people saying, it's out, fingers crossed, let's hope it works. So it was, yeah, there was kind of an anticlimactic moment mm -hmm. there because we had we couldn't celebrate together because we we weren't able to be together. And so I think that that was something that, if we could do that differently, we would have, because none of us even had a Zoom account at that point. Yeah, so no, Zoom, what's Zoom? <laughs> if we had done things differently, we would have had a Zoom account and we would have pushed publish together. Uh, that would have been that would have been a nice way to, to share that. But at that point, it was, yeah, it was so new. Everything was changing so fast that it just, yeah, we don't have a good publish story. Sorry, Ian. <laughs> no, no, and it's that's the nature of the beast. All the you know these moments, these romanticized moments we think of in our minds of like high fiving each other and you know raising a glass mm -hmm. and nope, not doable. You know, high fives. No. I mean, th those are just it's out the air. High five. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's it. 
So jumping ahead, and of course, we don't have a crystal ball and we can't predict the future and we hear different things every day about what things may look like. You've had a tremendous amount of, of success with this just in terms of the amount of engagement and how well you've been able to achieve your core objectives through a different medium. Hopefully, a day will come when we can once again have groups of students outside interacting with nature and flipping logs looking for salamanders and you know running up to say you know what what type of of tree is this and you know what is the role of virtual teaching and and these types of video based lessons uh, or or if there is a role a totally open ended question uh, what what do you foresee when we get back to being able to have groups of students in nature well for for me one of the things that's that's interesting is uh for years, we had talked about we have a we have a garden behind the offices uh, with you know chickens and all sorts of that you know the homesteading type of things that you can do in these type of centers. And uh, yeah. we've talked for years about creating some sort of digital experience where um, the first groups that come in the, the the spring are cultivating the soil, and then the next group is you know um, putting the leaf compost in, and the next group is doing this, and the next group is putting the seeds, and the next one's building the trellises. And so, you know, it builds upon each other in a, in a web-based platform. We never got to it because we were so busy actually working with the kids in the woods. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that way you could have the full circle in the experience for those that actually got to touch the soil or uh, uh, cultivate the crop when it, when it was time or use it in the kitchen. So I think that kind of gives us that, that, that perspective that, wow, these things can add value to experience. So when I'm looking at our own business model here at Nahop, we have an opportunity to take the curriculum that has been developed that is now still being developed. We have, a, we have an intern this summer that is uh, spending focused time and energy on building more content based off of surveys that we've sent out to people that we do or do not know that have been part of this experience. What do you need? Because we're going to keep on building this thing. And so I think for us, it can kind of be the, the, the primer for those uh, teachers before they come. So here they may not feel, we talked about it, I think earlier, maybe another conversation about now we have an opportunity to, to guide people to a new comfort zone. So even those, those teachers that might be in a brick and mortar school, hey, you can do a lot with a little and you can go out to your schoolyard. Now we have this digital tool. So here we are going to come alongside you with this digital tool that allows you to bring those students outside to do these type of experiences. Now they have some sort of a baseline and then we can make that curriculum a little bit more robust when they come here, dive a little bit deeper, and then we can have follow-up. So you can have beginning, middle, and end. And I think it's gonna provide a a great wraparound service for for all of us that are trying to affect kids' lives in, in positive ways. That's at least my perspective. Matthew? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's just, it's an on-ramp. And I think in any of these, any of these programs, buy-in comes from a teacher that sees the potential or, or an administrator that sees the potential where they want their students to have that experience. And I think that this uh, virtual catalog and archive allows someone to, to get their feet wet in a way that is um, uh, pedagogically sound, structured, provides materials, makes it very easy for, for teachers to, to have their students experience something and try it with very uh, little um, cost at the moment for the, the teacher to try it. And I think that, you know, that's something that, you know, Nahop is trying to inspire others to be a part of this 
world of environmental education. And whether that's through just some of these little small activities that you might do using this archive in your own class or doing that and saying, you know what, a residential program would be amazing for these students. And then that inspires them to, to give their students more opportunities, I think would be, would be fantastic. So I think, I don't, I don't see it going away. Um, I also think that there's a potential. So, so Trevor's, the version that he has right now, the at-home version is, it's an autonomous learning experience. Um, a, a child, a parent, a teacher, they don't have to have yeah, self-guided and hop present, right? Um, but I think what's been amazing is kind of the dexterity we've all developed for Zoom and all of these other platforms has completely opened up the idea for uh, digital live experiences as well. So there's there's no reason why Trevor's staff can't help facilitate an outdoor learning experience with young people in a place that's multiple states away, um, because that you know, the idea and, and the, in terms of the, the webinar experience that we did with Green Teacher, where there's an interaction, but there's also a moment that says, go out and do this and come back and we're going to talk about it. Um, that, I, that moment is, is really impactful and important. And if you rely on sound teaching practices, I think that digital live experience can, can also play an interesting role moving forward that allows an organization to extend its reach uh, into to markets and locations that they they have never been able to to service before, and I think that that's that's a really exciting opportunity for for a lot of these organizations that they can be a part of it. I know my sister just had an amazing. They had her staff meeting, and her staff meeting started with meeting the llamas and alpacas <laughs> from I believe it was the Cincinnati Zoo, and it was a zookeeper that to start their meeting. Uh, said just spent 15, 20 minutes introducing the llamas and the alpacas to her entire college and saying like, this is what we do with them. And this is who they are. And you got to meet all these new animals. And, and that was their starter. Like that's, and I absolutely love it because that kind of helps a little bit with zoom fatigue. If you know, oh, uh, yes. you get to do something unique, but I think that that's, you know, that digital live experience, um, you know, we've opened that, can of worms and now we know how to we know how to use it i mean the this is something that it doesn't matter if you're nine or 90 people know how to log into zoom and they know how to pick their background to make it express who they are and i i don't know it's a it's a, i think it's gonna be fascinating moving forward because that changes a lot of where we say we can interact and who we interact with which i love so through this process, one of the things that Matthew uh, maybe hasn't sh uh, shared, but we have been taking a collection of uh, where people have been asking for coaching and advice or consultation on if they were to do this for their own institutions. And a lot of that dialogue has been about this, this digital live experience. And so just yes. this week alone, um, you know, we were talking with people from Asia and then from Africa and all sorts of different places where we're kind of helping them develop something that works for their institution through conversation and consultation. And so I think, again, I, societally, we are seeing ways to engage in a different way. And, and for me, that's exciting because there's so much innovative things that we can do. And maybe, just maybe through all of this pandemic and, and COVID-19 and all this, 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 this stuff, this reality that we've dealt with, that there's potential that we can affect uh, as teachers that we can maybe help people 
value and understand this this lovely planet that we have and and how we need to treat it and how we need to study it and how we need to to work together to protect it through all of this work as whether it's live digital live autonomous where people take or you know when we're actually like you said flipping over that log and hanging out with salamanders so maybe the tentacles will go a little bit deeper a water molecule that travels from thawing ice on pleasant hill lake down the clear fork mohican and mississippi rivers takes a complex but ultimately predictable route eventually it will end up in the gulf of mexico the nahab team knows where it wants to end up even if how they achieve their goals has shifted amid the murky waters of 2020. Talking with Green Teachers is co-hosted by Ian Shanahan and me, Sofia Vargas-Nessi. I also voice most of the ads. Ian serves as the show's writer and editor. Logo design and additional voiced ads are by Devin Terrian. Look for our monthly episodes on greenteacher.com. For access to all episodes, subscribe to Green Teacher and also receive our quarterly magazine, as well as exclusive access to our vast archive of webinars and magazine back issues. Thank you for joining us on this episode. We'll chat again soon. So how many times have you guys used the word pivot in the last, say, three months? <laughs> Ad nauseum. Ten, ten times a day? What's the over-under? Ten plus or minus a few? So the game is to try and come up with the, the most number of words you can say that are similar to pivot, but are not pivot. Synonyms. I, I always love synonyms. It's a good, good way to expand vocabulary. Yeah, but yeah, it's there's way too much uh way too much pivot talk.